Hello, and welcome to our Basics Matter walkthrough, where we spend time dialoguing through each of the 52 questions and answers that make up our catechism. Today I have with me Scott Irwin, college minister at Sunnybrook Christian Church, uh, as well as the leader of Men's Encounter and our School of Discipleship in our adult ministries. I also have with me Hope Shepherd, who teaches English at Stillwater High School and is also nearly done with her own graduate work in theology. Um, and if you've spent any time in our Basics Matter curriculum, you would know that she teaches in there quite a bit. Today we'll tackle questions two and three, what is God and who is God? We'll talk about why one of those questions seems a bit strange to our ears and why the other one seems a bit strange to the ears of those who follow other gods. And then we'll talk a bit about the complexities of this important little doctrine known as the Trinity. Okay, so for our um, our second lesson in the basics matter process we actually cover two questions which is more more the norm than just doing one unfortunately but (laughs) these two are very related so question two is what is god which is kind of a weird question to ask um or at least it can seem that way at first and then question two is who is god and they they can even sound at first blush like the same question but they're not um And the way that we open this particular class is by asking everyone to discuss at their tables, why do you believe in God? Which can be um, a little bit of a difficult question to answer once you actually start to have to articulate that. Um, And then maybe this one's easier, the the follow-up to that is, what is God like? And so what I want to ask you guys is, why are those good things to think through? Why you believe in God and what's he like? Tozer, Tozer says, and he's probably not the first one to say it, but that what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. And I think I think um, I believe that to be true because I believe God has a um, because of who I believe God is, which we'll get into. It dictates kind of who I am and how I should live. Mm-hmm. So therefore, you know, the way I should think and the way I should act. I mean, so it really stems from. It starts with this, who is this God who I believe created me and therefore knows me and has authority over me and, and should and should be guiding and leading me. You mm-hmm. know, so it, it for me it starts it starts there and, and that's why it's so important. Yeah, and if he knows you and if he's if he's kind of sovereign over you, if if that that's why Tozer says yeah. if what you think about that shapes everything else about you. And yeah. there are there's He's not saying that anyone gets it 100% correct, but your thoughts on that particular question are mm-hmm. critical for everything else in your life. Mm-hmm. And as far as um, why do you believe in God, that's also a really big deal. I work primarily with students, and um, I'm sure you see this with college students mm-hmm. and the collegiate ministry. Um, collegiate ministry, that sounds so cool. Yes, in the collegiate Very prestigious, what I do. Scott Irwin in the collegiate ministry. Yes. Um, but with students, they are trying to figure out who they are and what they believe about the world and about life. Yeah. And oftentimes, especially those who are raised in the church by Christian families, um, take their own faith for granted and they don't 
um, own it themselves until they're confronted with a question like this that says, well, why do you believe in God? Mm -hmm. And they are oftentimes stunned because they've probably never thought about that before. It was Mm -hmm. just something that they've been brought up doing and they've never had to question. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really good to think through so again, they own it um, and then they can better share their faith. I mean, that goes into apologetics. And And we take care in class not to critique those who... They believe in God because their parents told them that. So like yeah. Trace Irwin believes in God because he's never really had another option, right? Mm-hmm. That's just how he's been raised. And and what we're saying is that as time goes on, as maturity sets in, as the need to evangelize and give uh, you know a defense of the gospel comes, it's like at some point Trace Irwin, um, adorable as he is, cannot appeal to the faith of Scott and Ryan Irwin any more any longer, and he's going to have to say. Well, I've I've considered the the evidence, and what I believed in a childish way is still true, and now I have like mature reasons for believing that. Mm-hmm. So, which is true of anything. I mean, no, nobody nobody enters into this conversation as a blank slate yes. and gets to just look at all the options and then pick the one that's <laughs> yes. best. You know, all of us come into it with things that we've been taught and ways that we've been conditioned to think. And so, I mean, I've never really met anybody who, who really just got to sit down and objectively examine all the different religions and then pick the one that mm-hmm. is best. It's always a more of a retroactive yes. going back and going, okay, this is what I've been taught. Is this still hold true? Or is it just more complicated than it was, than I thought it was? And so yeah. therefore I can... We are all formed by our environment, and that's that's what where we can take this particular class as an opportunity to emphasize an orange moment. Okay, parents, can can you understand better what it is you believe? Because you have Trace Irwin's, or you have I don't know if I'm allowed to say your name on this. So we have Matthew Vincent's at home that I want to form them. I want to set them on a certain trajectory so that one day they can. They can sort through this on their own, but like, I don't feel bad by saying I want to shape their bias. Yeah. I, I really want that worldview ingrained in them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as we're working through these things as adults, knowing that the, these questions have ripple effects at home and in other contexts. I think that what is God is a weird way to say it, but is an important way to say it because when you consider all the different kinds of gods mm-hmm. that exist, it's it's very important to kind of differentiate this theistic God who yes. is active in creation, stands above creation, but is but also acts within creation. Mm-hmm. And so to kind of start there with this God that isn't just sitting back, yeah, looking at letting things go, or isn't you know in everything. But, yeah, but helping you decide white bread, wheat bread. Right. It's like he's he's different than that, right? right. When I teach this, I like to um, write up on the whiteboard what the tables have come up with. I ask them to come up with a list of adjectives that describe God or their understanding of God, and then we talk about it. And I write them all up on the whiteboard just to kind of get a visual of. Um, obviously, that's not nowhere near an exhaustive list, but it's what we think of first. Um, and then we start talking about the infinitude of God and that he is all of those attributes infinitely. <laughs> um, and you, that you can't divide them all up and you, that you can't say that, I mean, I'll have wrathful on one side of the board and someone else might have said merciful. And so we get to have 
a really cool conversation in the middle of class when you put wrathful and merciful right next to each other and we talk about the fact that he is actually perfectly, infinitely perfectly yeah. fully holy both of those things mm-hmm. in a way that humans are not um, so then we have that conversation as well with the what is God mm-hmm. the second question well it's question three in the whole catechism is who is God mm-hmm. and this is uh, I, think, I think what is God is actually a um, it's, it sounds like a weird question for us but if you look at other religions it's probably a better way of asking it mm-hmm. um, they're, they're very comfortable with answering what is God but we have a, a, a who is God question there's a there's a, a relational element to this per, mm-hmm. this particular spiritual transcendent yeah. being there's there's also this imminent side of him that's yeah. near and so how do we answer questions like who is God yeah well the relational element, I, this is what I have to be reminded of. That, that's not a. That's not something we should just assume is true of all gods. Mm-hmm. That is. That is primarily true of our God, mm-hmm. and that is true of Yahweh. He he set himself up to be relational mm-hmm. from the very beginning, and so we see that in in Genesis three. We see him. Well, actually, in Genesis two, giving them instruction, um, giving them warning. We see in three him walking, you know, in the cool of the day with them, and so. We see this immediately, this relational aspect that he continues as he continues to give guidance and warning and consequence mm-hmm. and grace and, you know, law. Even even to me, the law is a relational contract that mm-hmm. he establishes to say, hey, this is how you stay in relation with me. Let me give you the law to mm. the people of Israel. It's not just a set of rules. Oh, God is yeah. not a rule. It's a... This is a relational element that in order to stay in relationship with me, this is what you do. And when you break it, this is how you yeah. fix it. I love to highlight that um, from Abraham to the giving of the laws, about uh, 550 to maybe 600 years. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, etc. they're all trying to follow this God. And not that he is absent, but the, the relationship is, is at best a little murky. And I think that we look at the law as restrictive and man, that would have been terrible. But I think the Israelite people looked at the law and thought, finally, we know what you're like. This yeah. is, we know, we know what, what you, you want. want. Yeah. And, and they thought of it truly as a gift. I mean, Psalm 119, they, they held it in high regard and they loved it. And, and that is a unique feature of Christianity. Not that we're trying to, you know, list out all the... It has power locks and power steering, and so you should choose this. But it is something that is a unique thing to our particular faith. Hope as you teach this particular question, because I think you've taught this lesson twice, right? I don't even know if I've ever taught it. You have. (laughs) So I wiggle out of the Trinity lesson all the time. Yes. Um, What are some of the the big questions or, or hurdles that you have to work through, particularly as we land on the relational God who exists in three persons? Yes. Um, When we do this lesson, I know that I need to move rather quickly through that first part. um, What is God? We talk about the attributes of God because the second part of the lesson is always more complicated and it takes more time. Um, And both times I have run out of time. So maybe (laughs) next time we will get there. Um, But we're going to move into the doctrine of the Trinity. And that is as important as it is complex and hard to understand. Um, it's, it's imperative to get it right, 
but it's impossible to get it completely right. So we are in this murky land of acknowledging our own limitation, but not using that as an excuse to not try to understand yeah. to the best of our ability. Yeah, um, And I say that at the beginning of class. I would never try, especially in a one-hour Sunday school lesson, um, try to claim that I have the definitive definition of... Um, all of the workings of the Trinity. And then we talk about why that's so complicated. Yeah. Drew um, Moss likes to say that if you think you figured out the Trinity, you're probably a heretic. Yes. <laughs> you ventured into heresy. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. And here we are doing it in 25 minutes. Um, so I write three statements on the board. Um, the first one is that God is three persons. The second one is that each person is fully God. And at that point, we're, we're sitting pretty comfortably, um, and everyone in class kind of gets it. You know, they know the Father and the Son and the Spirit, um, and they would all acknowledge that, yes, those are all God. They're all fully God. Um, it's not like Jesus is less of God than the Father is, and we understand that. So we're good with those two. But then number three kind of wrecks it because it's there is one God. <laughs> so if you put those three again together, it's one God is three persons, two, each person is fully God, and three, there is one God. Um, And that seems to mess up our own mathematical, logical limitations. So again, we go back to when we were talking about the attributes of God, um, that you can't logically divide him up, that he's 100%, he is infinitely each of his characteristics instead of where as a human we might divide ourselves up like a pie you also can't do that with the trinity you can't say that he's 33 percent father and 33 percent son and 33 percent spirit um last time i taught this class i had a math teacher in the room so it was funny to watch him squirm because it's not um our mathematical brains It doesn't work like that. I, my thoughts are if you create math, you can violate the rules. <laughs> yes. So the Lord can do what he wants. That is true. Um, so then we, we move on from that into um, some of the analogies that are commonly taught about the Trinity, and we talk about the limitations of those. Mm-hmm. Um, like the Trinity's like an egg, there's a shell, there's <laughs> yes. the yolk, and then I never know what the white part's called. I think it's just the white. The shell? The oh, shell, the, the, shell the, the white. Yeah, like an egg white. white. Egg white. Yeah. yeah, egg white. And the yolk. Yeah. So or just, like that, go back to he's relational. People love to, to do this one. I, Ryan, I am both a husband, a son, and a father simultaneously. Yeah. Yes. But you're just talking about... One person in different yep. relationships that person has. One person who can put on those are not different three different hats. people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's different. And but it's important to look through those because if you start to think through your own, if you make an analogy, your understanding of the Trinity, then you will see your own shortcomings. Um, if I do treat God like that, then really, I am saying that there is um, there's one God who sometimes acts like the Father, and sometimes acts like the, the Son, and sometimes acts like the Spirit, and that's not true. Or if we go to the egg analogy, those are three different parts of the egg, and they're not all united and one together. Um, And so that would be as if there were three separate gods. So you're either going to get into modalism where you have one god who switches modes or you're going to get into tritheism where now you're worshiping three separate gods and both of those are Mm -hmm. heresy. And I I think for me it was really helpful to understand 
that these these ideas didn't just the, the early church fathers didn't just come up out of the blue. They had to go to the scriptures because Jesus's identity yes. was under attack in the early church, and so they had to go to the scriptures and say, "Okay, the Bible says that there's one God." Okay, and then it refers to Father, Son, and Spirit as God. Okay, mm-hmm. and it seems like they have equal authority. Okay, so so they're like they're wrestling with this and going, "There's nothing like this." Mm-hmm. So we had, you know, they had to come up with a word to de- to yeah. describe it and. For me, that was helpful to recognize keeping intention, unity, equality, and diversity, like yes. those three things. Because mm-hmm. if you remove one of them, you lose an aspect of God. Mm-hmm. You know, so unity, they're they're unified, they're one, they're equality, they're all equal, equally God, and they're diverse. They they have their own roles and mm-hmm. in which they play. And so three persons in one is is a complicated, impossible thing to figure out. But. And that's something I draw up on the board as well. Um, I have basically a visual that goes through the fact that um, the Spirit is not the Son, and the Father is not the Son, and uh, the Father is not the Spirit. So they are yeah. not each other, yeah. and yet all three are God. Yes. That is the Trinity. They are not three gods. They are all, they are one God. Um, so I usually draw that out. And then I like to write out, um, just for vocab sake, in the first catechesis um, podcast, you talked about defining terms. So I usually put up um, the ontological unity and the economic <laughs> diversity. And I write those up on the board, and then we talk about what they mean. And we go into ontological unity, and we talk about that word ontological and just um, existing of the same stuff would be the simplest. The, the very root essence of the your being. Yeah, they are. you are the same essence. So they are, they are united in, in their essence. Um, but then that economic diversity, and we talk about that it's not, when we hear the word economic, we think money. Um, or like the like economy, functional. but it's more the functional. So think back to your old home ec classes when you were uh, learning the functions of the home and the way that the home um, runs. So the different functions of the Trinity. Then we jump into what are some of the distinct roles that you know um, or that you are, are already aware of um, in the Trinity, the distinctions between them. And we talk about the fact that the Son um, achieves atonement, and that is not the role of the Father. The Son submits to the Father. The Spirit sanctifies. And that part, I think, is the most, well, it's one of the most important. I don't know if it's the most important, but that bit of it is my favorite part in class because it gets the most practical mm-hmm. um, and for us to apply because then you can start to move out through your week and you can start recognizing the different roles and workings of three persons in the Trinity in your life. Um, You can see the Spirit sanctifying you, and you can thank the Son for for paying the price for your sins, and you can thank the Father for orchestrating this divine plan in the first place. Um, And you just relate to it, the Trinity, better that way. As we conclude, I want to uh, assure anyone listening to this that these are not doctrines or ideas that we're just trying to prop up by explaining ourselves around them and saying, eh, it's kind of, and it is a little bit, but we can't really put it all together. 
what we're doing is I think in line with what Scott mentioned the early church fathers are doing is they're looking at scripture and they're saying this is all revealed to be true and I'm unable to put everything in neat little boxes such that they all fit and you know the puzzle works out perfectly Um, but they are all true so God is three persons and he is one and Jesus is God Father is God the Holy Spirit is God and uh they're different yet the same that's that's kind of how this works Mm -hmm. so that's where we go to also with class we end with reading out um different trinitarian texts or just verses that specifically mention all three members of the trinity Mm -hmm. um we kind of end with this humility where we admit that even though we've sat there and talked about it we still don't fully understand but here it is blatantly in the text. It mentions all three persons, and we are unyielding and we are unwilling to um, pick and choose which parts of the Bible that we are going to listen to. So that's kind of our definitive end. Um, we, can, we can try, but at the end of the day, yeah. here's what Scripture says, so we're just going to... Do you have one that comes to mind? What's, what's a... What's what's one big one that you would Um, turn to? So we go to 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Um, Paul writes, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Um, And there are just several several like that, especially in the epistles. Another one I think of is Romans 1, like 1 through 3, where where Paul basically presents the gospel, Mm -hmm. but he mentions... God, the gospel of God, Jesus, mm-hmm. and the Spirit, mm-hmm. all in one. It's yeah. like this. Yeah. It's a huge verse. One yeah. more before you close out, because okay. I see you watching your time. First um, Peter 1, 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Mm. Um, we, we talk about that one because there That's you have one. explicitly you three different roles yeah. and members. Yeah, That's awesome. God the Father, and who can sanctify? God the Spirit, mm-hmm. and... Uh, that's cool. awesome. Yeah. And we didn't even have time to get to you know, who do you pray to. Um, <laughs> we have a whole question on that down okay. the road. Good. Awesome. Well, this has been very good. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thank you. Sweet. And that's all for our conversation today. Stay tuned as we continue to work through the Basics Matter Catechism. And if you have any further questions or would just like to talk about these things, send me an email at ryan at sunnybrookcc.org. Until next time.